Hi everyone, this is Ilana. I hope you can hear me above the birds who are having a marvellous time in the trees next to me. Chapter 37 of Yirmiyahu. Once again we seem to have gone backwards or perhaps we jumped forwards. As we know, and as I've mentioned, the chronology is all um, a bit odd. We saw, for example, in chapter 34, which I discussed before, we were with Yirmiyahu and the last king, Tzidkiyahu, um, then the last few couple of chapters have gone back to the time of Jehoiakim, and now chapter 37, our chapter of the day, moves forward again back to Tzidkiyahu. And it's interesting because it begins as if we've never met him before. There's an introduction to the king, how he was made king by Nebuchadnezzar, therefore he's a vassal king, of course, and he's rebelled, um, as we know. So the text sums it up, which, as I say, is, is interesting because we have met him. Uh, it says, neither he nor his courtiers nor the people of the land listened to the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. And with that bit of a downer of an introduction, we find Sidkiyahu still is asking Jeremiah to pray for the people in the city. And Jeremiah is still refusing. Um, we're told that this is that moment, that lull in the siege where the Chaldeans have left the city to go and fight Egypt. Uh, Tzidkiyahu asks for help and Jeremiah again says, do you think they're leaving? They're not. They will return and attack. And it's just something that I was, I was thinking about here in South Africa. You know, we're, um, we're a little behind in the COVID infection timeline. Um, which is possibly a good thing. No one yet knows, I guess. Um, what I mean is that it travels primarily through China and then into the Northern Hemisphere. And we here in South Africa were, were watching it spread um, throughout the different countries. And it only then, not belatedly, but it, it sort of started to make its presence felt here a little later with travelers returning from the northern hemisphere although i'm not blaming anyone i'm just saying that's what happened um so therefore for most of us there was the sense of trepidation a sense of fear foreboding because we knew it was coming and yet there was this irrational feeling or sense of uh, of hope um there was an irrational hope, I guess you could say, not a sense, but a hope that, well, maybe it won't come here. Maybe it won't be as bad. And I've, I just was thinking about it when reading this chapter and feeling that perhaps this is the same emotion that Tzidkiyahu and his people are going through. They know it's coming. They know Babylon is coming back. Babylon, as all empires do, are not going to leave anyone alone. Um, and yet there is a hope that somehow it will all work out. And so that wealth of emotions is possibly what Jeremiah is actually expressing is what is coming to him from all the messages that are coming to him from Tzidkiyahu or through messengers, Tzidkiyahu himself. It's just an interesting point that um, being where we are is perhaps worthy of, of notice uh, and analysis to a certain extent. Anyway, back to the chapter. Jeremiah now, which is very interesting, he tries to leave Jerusalem for his hometown or to Benjamin in general. Um, if you remember in the first Pasuk of Yirmiyahu, it says that these are the words of Yirmiyahu, the son of Chilkiyahu, of the priests of Anatot in the territory of Benjamin. 
Why is he leaving? And there's an odd word in verse 12, which leaves most, most people puzzled. Um, so just to read first in, in verse 11, it says, When the army of the Chaldeans raised the siege of Jerusalem on account of the army of Paro, in other words, they're going off to fight Paro, um, verse 12, lalechet eretz benyamin, Lachalik is an odd word. Um, Jeremiah was leaving Jerusalem to go to the territory of Benjamin, Lachalik Misham, to share in some property there among the people. That's how most Tanachim I found have translated it. And Robert Alter points out that the word Chalak, uh, which does mean to share or to divide, this is the reason that most interpreters and translators use this, to say that he was going on some kind of personal business to realize a share in an inheritance coming to him, for example. But the truth is that this does not ring true at a time of siege, even if it's a lull in a siege, um, that he'd be going off on business. And um, Alter looks at the fact that there's an Akkadian word which means similar to chalak, which means to hide or to flee. And that would possibly be more plausible that he is fleeing from the death that will come from the, from the Babylonians and the Chaldeans when they return to the siege. Um, Radak actually sees it from the word chalak meaning smooth, meaning to slip out of the city, to sneak away. And he probably gets it because it says lachalik as opposed to lehechalek, which is how you would say to divide uh, property, etc. Um, Shadal says the same thing, that he's sneaking out um, because he's afraid, though, that any moment now he's going to be killed, either by the people who are tired of listening to him say that everything's going to go bad by the false prophets who he, of course, is up against all the time. Whatever the case, um, he's trying to get away. And it makes sense that he's trying to get away because, in fact, he doesn't get away. He's intercepted, he's accused of collaborating with the enemy, and he's thrown into prison. The interesting thing here is also who arrests him. So the name of the god is Iriah, son of Shlema, son of Hananiah giving us the name, the father, and the grandfather. And it's possible that this Hananiah that is mentioned here is the same one that's described back in chapter 28 as a false prophet, and who Jeremiah, as we remember, prophesied against foretelling his death within the year. So the fact that Iria is given his grandfather's name perhaps indicates that this uh, is the grandson of that Hananiah, and therefore Iria, of course, would have had immense reason to intensely dislike Jeremiah, and he really would have been happy to arrest him and put him into a terrible prison. Uh, Jeremiah pleads with Tzidkiyahu, despite the bad news that he constantly gives him, he pleads with him to, to get him out of the prison, and Tzidkiyahu places him, in a sense, under house arrest at a house, and Fascinatingly, the, the, the peric ends with that he's provided with a loaf of bread every day until the siege comes to such a stage where the food runs out in the city. And that's up until that point, he is given a loaf of bread every day. And this reminds us really of prophets who are 
fed by kings or queens, because if you remember, Isabel was, um, she had 400 prophets of the Baal under her and she fed them. They ate every day at her table. And so I think it's quite ironic that Yirmiyahu, who's been struggling against the king and wants no part of being a king's prophet, because the false prophets generally are speaking um, the words that the king wants to hear. And so he'll do anything not to be that prophet who is going to um, have to get bread from the king. And yet we find that from now on he will be dependent on the benevolence of the king. A very ironic turn of events indeed. On that note, um, I wish everyone well and healthy and stay safe.